please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So happy 4th of July yesterday. We are here on this holiday weekend, a weekend when we in the United States celebrate the decision of the Continental Congress that the American colonies would be a new nation, the United States of America, and no longer part of the British Empire. The Continental Congress made this decision on July 2nd and approved the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776. The Declaration of Independence explains why the Congress had voted to declare independence from Britain. On July 3rd, 1776, John Adams wrote this to his wife, Abigail. The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward evermore. In fact, the United States has always celebrated July 4th rather than July 2nd. And we often celebrate with much of the pomp and parade that John Adams suggested, but perhaps not so much with the acts of devotion to God. The 4th of July is often celebrated with a lot of flag waving, the American flag, those stars and stripes. And this year, we happen to arrive at this day at a time when another flag, the Confederate flag, has been getting much attention. So it seems particularly fitting to remember the inequities, the injustice that was built into the founding of this nation, even as our nation's founders articulated such a visionary hope for all men being created equal, for such a visionary hope for the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Probably the most famous sentence in the Declaration of Independence is that second sentence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Churches are fond of saying all are welcome in the church, All kinds of churches say this all across the theological spectrum. And because all kinds of churches say this, churches that genuinely welcome gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender persons have adopted the saying, all means all. In other words, there are no secret exceptions implied when we say all are welcome. We really mean all, no exceptions. When the Declaration of Independence says, all men are created equal, all did not really mean all. The Declaration of Independence did nothing to rectify the genocide of Native Americans that was woven into the establishment of the United States, 
We know the Declaration of Independence was signed by men who owned slaves, and saying all men are created equal did not apply to slaves or even to free Americans of African descent who did not have equal rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Even in the very year the Declaration of Independence was approved, people were already critiquing the contradiction between the language of the Declaration on the one hand and the existence of slavery on the other. In a letter in 1776, an abolitionist from England named Thomas Day wrote, If there be an object truly ridiculous in nature, it is an American patriot, signing resolutions of independency with the one hand and with the other brandishing a whip over his affrighted slaves. The vision that all men are created equal didn't really mean all men. It did not include Native Americans or African Americans. But though it didn't really mean all, it did really mean men. <laughs> equal rights for women were not included in any way and were not even considered for a very long time. Marion Wright Edelman has called these the birth defects of our nation, the profoundly evil birth defects of slavery, Native American genocide, and the exclusion of all women and non-propertied men of all color, colors from our electoral process. So here we gather this morning, perhaps for those solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty that John Adams wrote about, and we gather with an acute awareness that inequality and injustice are part of our American heritage, just as the vision that all men are created equal is part of our heritage, and just as the vision of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness is a part of our heritage. How then are we as Christians called to celebrate Independence Day? The relationship between church and government has always been uneasy. This unease is rooted in the earliest days of our Judeo-Christian history. In the earlier stories of the Old Testament, Israel was a nation that did not have kings. The prophet Samuel was the one who got the whole succession of the kings of Israel started, but he did it only with great reluctance. Samuel was a great leader for the Israelites, but as he got older, he appointed his sons as priests. When Samuel's sons turned out to be corrupt, the Israelites begged Samuel to appoint a king for them instead. Samuel was not at all happy with the request. Samuel understands what the Israelites did not, that asking for a king is a rejection of God's sovereignty. The scripture passage we heard this morning is one that is suggested for use on Independence Day, because it offers a basic reminder that our highest allegiance is to God and that this God is a God of justice. But the Israelites of Samuel's day want a king to give their allegiance to. We don't have kings, but we do have a national identity as Americans who pledge allegiance to the flag. The prophet Samuel understood that the sovereignty of any human king 
will ultimately be in direct conflict with God's vision for God's kingdom. And in our time, we can apply Samuel's skepticism about kings to civil government. Samuel's mother, Hannah, understood that God's ways are about justice. When Hannah gives thanks to God for her son Samuel, Hannah says, There is no holy one like the Lord, no rock like our God. The boughs of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them God has set the world. Samuel's mother understands that God's ways are about justice. And Samuel knows that is not the way of any human king. So we see that God has a vision for what life and human community should look like under God's reign. And no human authority will measure up to God's will for our world. The uneasiness in the relationship between faith and government continues into Jesus' lifetime. It seems that some of Jesus' followers expected and hoped that he would lead a Jewish revolt against the oppressive Roman Empire. And some in the Roman Empire seemed to fear that this is what Jesus would do. But instead, we know a Jesus whose power had nothing to do with political structures. Instead, the power of Jesus was the power of tender mercy, of forgiveness, of ministry to the poor and outcast. It is the power to transform lives, not through coercion or force, but through humility, love, and extreme service. Fast forwarding to the 20th century, Pope Pius XI instituted a new feast day in the Roman Catholic Church, which came to be celebrated throughout Christianity, Christ the King Sunday. Pope Pius instituted the Feast of Christ the King in 1925 in reaction to the increase in nationalism he perceived around him, particularly nationalism associated with European dictatorships. In response to political nationalism, Pope Pius wanted Christians to remember that Christ is sovereign above any political ruler or world, worldly power. If Christ is any kind of king, Christ is a king who lived among us, gave his whole self in service, and then died the humble or even humiliating death of a common criminal. And this Christ who we give our allegiance to above any nation offers a kind of liberty, a particular freedom. Too often, the freedom we celebrate in the United States seems to be interpreted as the freedom to do whatever we want. But the Apostle Paul writes about the freedom we receive through Christ. And when Paul writes about freedom in Christ, it all sounds confusing. He writes things like, For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more of them. Now, slavery in Paul's day didn't mean what it meant in the history of the United States. It was different economically and legally. But without going too much into that, the point that Paul is making is that Christians are free in one sense while bound in another sense. 
Paul repeatedly celebrates the idea of freedom and in nearly the same breath talks about the obligations and responsibilities that go along with this freedom. In one passage from Paul's letter to the Galatians, he says, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. Paul's sense of freedom in Christ always goes hand in hand with the obligations to love and service. We celebrate freedom on a holiday we call Independence Day. But Paul paints a picture of freedom in Christ that looks more like interdependence than independence. It is a freedom that looks a lot like Jesus' own life, a picture of particular care for the poor and downtrodden and outcast, a picture of service, humility, and a concern for justice. So the freedom Christians celebrate is the hope of a better way to live, the promise of a higher allegiance to, than any allegiance to any human authority. How then do Christians celebrate this American holiday when we affirm the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? We gather as a people of faith, remembering that our highest allegiance is to God, the God of justice. We envision and hope for and work for our nation to truly embody someday its own best vision of human beings being created equal and the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And as followers of Jesus, we share a vision of freedom that is as much interdependence as it is independence. Amen.